Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Making things flat is our challenge this episode. Thanks to Matthew Lippincott for that Mm -hmm. challenge, who was our previous guest. And F. Douglas Brown is our guest this episode. Greetings, Doug. Hello. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles. I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, uh, DIY engineer, CAD cam evangelist, noted tall person based in Chicago, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. Hi, I'm F. Douglas Brown. Uh, Douglas or Doug for short. Uh, he, his pronoun kind of guy, too. Um... I'm a teacher, I am a poet, I am a DJ, and I think most importantly, I'm a father. And somehow I bring all those things together on a daily basis. It's a three-ring circus. Doug, you're a new dad again. A re-dad. I'm starting to call it re re-dad. I'm re-dadding. Uh-huh. <laughs> Since I haven't which, been... Which re-dad is this? Number three. Oh. So the, after, I think the definition i'm gonna call it, uh add to it is when you haven't had a kid in over 10 years and then you go back in and have another kid you are redadding yeah. it's hard always I, t- I typed a poem the other day and she was on my lap and then uh <laughs> and i got about like two words in and she's trying to type something else so there was that but i, I kind of <laughs> just had to get to the, the computer that usually doesn't happen but for that for, for some reason it was necessity to do that are, are we all dungeons and dragons people here doug are you are you part of this scene uh i appreciate it but I'm, i never really play or yeah play. so the so one of the things i find really useful or is is useful particularly in um sort of describing somebody's motivations right is their alignment and so there's this sort of thing that um my partner audrey often talks about how I'm chaotic evil because of the way I just leave the um, bag of bread open after I make our kid their sandwich for the morning. Uh, it, so the, um, but it kind of, uh, the chaotic person in me is ignited when I hear about the kid on the lap ruining the poem and it makes me want to go all conceptual art on it and like, well, why don't you just let that happen, man? You know, but I, I think in some cases you just gotta, like there's certain um, formats that you can't necessarily attack. You know, right. but you have to tell me, I mean, th- this is your field. Is that something that you could actually push through and incorporate or is that just going to make it not work? Well, it depends. I think it depends. I think for any artist, if you have uh, a line or a thread that you're working on and, and, and it hits you, you want to pull on that or use it to sew as much of the connections you can. And, um, any disruption, be it a baby, harsh sound, police, whatever it is at your mm-hmm. door, whatever it is, uh, chocolate, whiskey, it, it just gets in the way. <laughs> it gets in the way, right? Um, so we'd have all of those things happen? Right, right, all at once. The, the cop is bringing whiskey and chocolate. That's the way I want my world. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Right? <laughs> There's this poet Afa Weaver who talks about uh, the poet Lucille Clifton, and he would go to her house, and she would have one baby in one hand, stirring a pot with the other hand, and then something would hit her, and then she jot down some lines 
a poem or she'd be speaking like in verse or whatever and or singing a song and all the while she's making a poem. And that's kind of how I feel. That's the kind of the chaotic evil right there, right? Uh, of, <laughs> of creation <laughs> and life kind of merging all at the same time. So that's kind of how I feel. When people ask me when do I write, I might catch as catch can. I remember how I met Doug. And I'm pretty sure I met Doug at an unfatable event. Nope. Which is... a. Uh, no, it's not how we met. No, we met at a reading at a library. Well, there goes Rob's oh. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we Which... met again at the unfatable thing. But our first meeting was at a library that Lummis, Susan Lummis. That's poetry. right. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I forget about that reading because the people we read with, we've become such good friends and... That reading was the thing that kicked it off, and it and uh, it was a great reading. It was a great reading, but was but the friendship outshines the reading, and that was like one that's of so the cool. best readings, yeah. right? And that was uh, yeah, yeah. So that's probably why. That's why we. That's really cool. Why we yeah. shelf that one, and and I was only reminded of it because I was I hadn't been by there that library um, since that reading, and about a week ago. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was right there by the library. I was like, oh, my God, this is where I met Rob and Jen and um, and Peter Harris, Peter J. Harris. Peter Harris. Yeah, yeah Peter Harris is an awesome, really great writer. Mm-hmm. So what was your question? I'm sorry, I, cut, I, I derailed your question. Maybe this just make, made such an impact on me. Was an unfatable event at Art Share LA, right, is where that normally Correct. happens? It was a really intense experience. It focuses on on what feels like a great injustice, mm-hmm. right? Like, and though it also is a very kind of warm and inviting experience, like, and it doesn't seem like those two could exist together. And I was just curious about how you think of the events and like how how maybe you're able to kind of walk that tightrope around people feeling right. participating and included, but also being incredibly bummed out and angry at the same time. Well, I think the way it started was that uh, Cheyenne, the executive director, after Sandra Bland, the woman who was uh, found dead in her jail cell, uh, unbeknownst to the police how it happened, um, I think when it all went down and really nothing or very little was said about it and, you know, people were just ready to kind of shelf her life and keep it moving. I think when she reached out to me, we wanted to create something that allowed people the chance, the opportunity to not just voice how they felt, because obviously they were going to feel sad or or um, depressed in some kind of way or invalidated, but really to think about Sandra Bland and her voice or other women in particular who were in, in similar situations. And there are plenty of women or um, young black males who are, who are killed at the hands of police. And then we know them in a certain light only, and we never get to really kind mm-hmm. of paint a full picture of who they are or never really fully voice any other uh, feeling other than anger or grief. 
And so yeah. that was kind of our initial idea and really to kind of go through the whole gamut of the grief process. So initially the all of the readings were based off of just the stage of grief and so on. And what I noticed was with the readings uh, from the first year, we've done it now, this will be the fir- fourth year um, since her death and since we've been doing this, um, is that the first half of the reading, it's like everybody's holding their breath. Mm. And every reading, every person who gets up to read, it is like more and more intense. And then when we finally go to break, it's just it's like a balloon pops and everybody gasps almost, it feels like it. And there's this like shared kind of cathartic experience that happens and you know, people go up and talk to one another. People become supportive of one another. Uh, it's just like this buzz, this chatter, and it's joyous. And I love that. I love that because it's almost like a funeral, too. And that's like the whole reason for funerals, obviously, to pay the respects. But part of it is to keep moving in the in the real life. And that's what everybody is doing. It's like, well, we've heard all these things. Now, how can we keep living and and keep moving together and or I've been feeling this way by on by myself all alone and here is another person who has been grieving in a similar way and not only is that that other person uh, grieving but that person has found a poem from another poet who had already been writing about this a lot of the times we ask people to read poems that are not their own and to read a poem from someone else who might be dealing with a similar situation or or uh, a similar injustice and and has found a way to talk about that. And so that shared community, whether it be present there in the theater or present in a way that poetry and art makes people connect, um, makes people, I think, really come together in a way where they don't feel alone anymore. And where they feel mm-hmm. validated and um and they really trust the space and they really trust one another and so it becomes a joyous event. Um and and most of the time I always quote um Toy Derricott, one of the founders of Cave Canem, and saying that joy is an act of resistance. So like people feel they want to protest and you know, they bring in poems that's full of protest, but I think as much of the poems that they read that might be um, centered around social justice and protest and and activism, I think that exhalation at the end and the joy and the and the kind of solidarity that people bring is also kind of an act of resistance and and needed act of resistance and joy. So it's funny because I think a lot of things have a break, and you're just kind of like, what do I? what do I do with myself for 10 minutes? And like, it's cool that like this, that break, like all the definitions of break kind of happen in that time where like you need a break from feeling so intense. Right. There's a, there's a conceptual break in the work. Like that's, that's really cool. It kind of reminds me a little bit of this program I just did at Columbia College. Uh, We had this workshop by the People's Institute. Do you guys know this organization? No. Uh, so they do this programming called Undoing Racism, 
And uh, in the um, iteration that I had, it was two full days. So it was nine to five with a lunch break. And then there were people from across our college, so faculty and staff, and then, you know, like people who worked on the HVAC and so kind of all sorts of employees. And it was this whole walk through the concepts of um, the the idea that one could define racism as requiring prejudice plus power. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, this is sort of old news, but then walking into an academic institution and asking people to redefine a word, as you can imagine, <laughs> creates a lot of friction because that's what academics are all about, arguing about word definition. Um, so I found it super challenging just to listen for 16 hours, you know, whatever the content was, and then just try to be to try to be super present and not to get distracted by, oh, but what about this or this definition or that, and then just to hear it and then to sit with it and its ramifications for the days that followed. And it still just totally messed me up. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, uh-huh. you know, in, in the way that it's intended to, um, but it's, it's led me to, I feel like every time I get to hang out with people like the two of you or, you know, colleagues of mine at work or something, I just want to talk about it and try to figure out, you know, how did you feel about it and what should we do with it? Um, you know, not that uh-huh. we're going to solve something that, thousands of people before us haven't solved, but it makes me crave, Doug, some of what you're talking about, which is coming together around art in a way that feels uh, revelatory. Um, Because, man, let me Uh just tell you, I just, like, I just have such a, like, heavy feeling (laughs) in my heart from this thing, which is part of the point. Um, But but it's it's leading me to really crave those positive, um, uh, or at least... I don't know, is is saying that the material you're describing is positive, I feel like is underselling the complexity of what you're talking about, because clearly it's not coming from um, a positive um, series of events, quite the opposite. Right, right. I think most people would rather, one, not have to write a poem about mm-hmm, it or mm-hmm. do a reading uh-huh. of that nature, for sure. I, and I, that's one of the things I always say, too, for sure. But it ends up becoming that right it ends up becoming mm-hmm. positive and, and needed and uh appreciated in that way so yeah it is it, it's extremely complex yep um and hard to pin it down um last year i stepped back and kind of did a, a mostly administrative work for it and let uh two women poets and writers uh run it uh and every reader was a woman the whole the whole That's season cool. of it and it was really phenomenal to really look at it that way and to hear um just to really hear somebody else run the show i feel like the older i get the more i find beauty in administration is that a weird thing to say <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean cuz cuz i feel like um particularly as a parent I have so much less to give in terms of time. And so I'm trying to find ways that my experience can be condensed into something that opens the door for other people. Um, not that they need me to do it, but just if if I'm trying to figure out like how much bang can I get for the buck, this podcast is an example of that, which is let's have other interesting people on and try to get out of the way a little bit. Right, um, right. Yeah, and yep. I mean, Doug, some of the stuff you're saying, it really just makes me want to, like, turn off my mic and then just listen for an hour. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> yep. but I feel a responsibility yep. to make my incredibly um, 
important comments about the uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, uh, alignment <laughs> system. So, I've, you know, I've done my job. <laughs> uh, Doug, I want to make sure we also don't leave without talking about, I don't know if, I think you're working with other people on your covers, right? But what was it, um, what was the name of the artist? Two Feathers? What am I? What, Frohawk Two Feathers. Frohawk Two Feathers. So that's the recent book, Icon, that he worked on. And um, we were very fortunate to get this artist, um, Frohawk, Two Feathers, uh, Umar. He is a phenomenal artist. And he just has some, had time to do this book cover for us and and really did it at a, a great price for us and gave us the rights and he gave me the original, so I own the original of this, and it's oh, oh, cool. it's really. Is it a painting like a, or is it a? It is. It yeah. is. Great. It's a painting, and the thing about Frohawk, why he was ideal, was that one, a lot of the poems that I was writing were called are called uh, ekphrasis poems, uh-huh. basically poems that are about art or visual art of some kind. And uh, okay. uh, I took, you know, I looked at my name, Frederick Douglass, and wanted to write about uh, the man, Frederick Douglass. It seemed like an appropriate time to be writing about him uh, in a needed time. Um, but it's so hard when you know, Frederick Douglass, you know, former slave, uh, statesman, uh, one, the first African-American to stay at, at uh, the White House. Mm-hmm. Um you know, just a big, big figure in African American and just American uh, history in and of itself. Um, and so, where do you start with someone like that? And luckily, Jacob Lawrence, the Harlem Renaissance painter, had already done these panels. I think his first commission was to do 33 panels of Frederick Douglass, and then he did another 32 or so of Harriet Tubman. And the Douglas panels that he did were really him, I think, emerging as a painter, mm-hmm. kind of like at the same level of where I'm at as a poet. And I think it was just really good to look at those. And Lawrence was doing research on Douglas and then painting these panels. And I did research on Douglas and research on the Lawrence panels and then came up with these poems, a series of poems. Some of the poems are extremely narrative, and so Frohawk, as a painter, is a very narrative and surreal uh, painter at the same time. So, obviously, there's some things that you can kind of gravitate towards and and connect with, but then he will throw in, you know, uh, something very contemporary (laughs) on a person who you know who is in the past or whatnot, and it's very... His album covers become very like uh, funky, like funkadelic funky, like mm-hmm. George Clinton funky, sure. you know. Uh-huh. And a uh-huh. lot of the poems kind of look at funk music and connect it to slavery or civil rights, the civil rights movement, and so on. And so, Frohawk is that he's doing that, and we got lucky with this, and it's just. A striking, striking image that kind of says it all. We'll link in the show notes to your book, and so people can also see the cover there as well. Yeah, Rob, who's uh, who's first this week? Generally, Doug, as you've probably heard, we uh, one of us goes first and the other goes last, so that you don't have to do either of those roles. We put you in the middle. Yep. 
I'm I'm first this week. Excellent. I see boxes and piles. Um, what did we say earlier? Evil chaos. And I, and I was gonna <laughs> chaotic be evil, but chaotic yeah, close evil. Enough. Close enough. Yeah. I mean, things are trying to be uh, organized, but it is. Uh, I don't see much flatness, though. I see a lot of uh, bulk. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bulk. Maybe the, maybe he's going to achieve flatness from this bulk. I'm wondering if he's going to construct an organizational system. Mm. I'm looking at image two, um, and Rob is starting to unpack some of this stuff. So he's got it's it's the classic um, hoarder's problem where you don't want to ever just sit down and admit you need to buy forty identical boxes to really make a go of it. <laughs> so you've got all this random. You know, oh, you bought a few boxes here and there, and some are clear, and some aren't, and they don't all stack well. And you know what? Just like, just admit it, and make yourself an organizational system that you know acknowledges how much crap you have, man. We're at image seven, and the dude is working with the ultra cheap um, particle board, <laughs> or what's that stuff? Chipboard. Chipboard, um, right? Yep. And he's making a sort of trapezoid. If do I have that right? Where it's um, it's like a rectangular box with a slight angle on it, and there's many, many of them. So he's making some kind of repeating form. But right, there's like ten or twelve, as many as I yeah. can count. I can see ten or twelve on each side. Yeah. Well, the the paints are out, so there's some blue paint in the background of seven, and there's red paint in the background, well, in the foreground of eight. Uh, and he's also got these really, really thin strips, the kind you'd get if you rip, you know, like an eighth-inch piece off the side of a full sheet of plywood. Oh, right. and then Jen is pressed into service. Interesting. I don't think Jen's made it into documentation until episode 44 right here, right now. Really locked in with her headphones mm-hmm. on, yep. working at a, on a process that seems like it might take a while because it requires headphones in addition to mm-hmm. a, a gallon of paint. <laughs> Uh, okay, so all of these elements are being painted red, and it looks like there's at least 20 of them in this picture. I'm on 10. Now we're starting to cut out some maybe one by two lengths. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then those are the things that are joining together two red pieces. Doug, is this enough information for us to hazard a guess as to what's going on? This is like becoming like a wheel of fortune, huh? <laughs> we we, we want to guess before we get to the 30. Um Aha, aha. Yes. So at 15, we see Jen at a fireplace. Mm-hmm. And there's some prep work on the wall. Yeah, now we're Oh, getting... there we go. We're getting bookshelves. Now that might make the most sense. So we got a pre. Oh, nice. So we got some projection. Image of a rat or Giant a mouse. Rat. That's got to be a mess, right? It's a rat. It's a rat. Oh, really? It doesn't yeah. look like a Chicago rat. Let me tell you what. It's a, it's like a lab rat more than anything else. Yeah. That is a lab. It's too clean to be even an L.A. rat. And it looks old. It looks like an old photo. So. The, oh, yeah. It not is. the rat itself. That is one old yeah. looking rat. So, <laughs> so it looks like there's we're using the projection to transfer the image of the rat onto the wall. What yes. I'm curious about is, is this going to conduct through into the construction? You would imagine it would have to. I'm thinking. 
And now I see flat rat, the rat flat on the wall. Wow, there we go. The outline is there. Mm-hmm. No dimension. Love it. So let's get, so now, yeah, so now he's bringing it in. So here come the little bump outs, and there come the, on 25, it looks like he's got a nice little guide for the circular saw to make some uh, square shelves. This happened in two weeks. It did. It was, I'm guessing it happened in like a couple of days. Is what yeah. I'm guessing. It was, it was a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you underdid it, but rather, Rob, I know you're infamous for talking about um, just worrying for the first week. Look at yes, I did worry. I did. I did worry for the first week. Admittedly, yes. Yeah, and, uh, I'm on 29 now. To die. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna catch up with you. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Clutter no more. <laughs> Good looking storage. Evil chaos no more. <laughs> see we, when i when i first brought up that topic i thought to myself i don't know if this idea is really landing but what i've really loved that not only did doug take it and run with it but the repeated callbacks mean that we cannot cut it out <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> so man i i gotta own that comment <laughs> yep yeah i'm so Looking i'm good. like uh i'm envious yeah, my my uh I think it looks great. My uh my only concern is the um the choice of the plywood. I want to make sure that it's going to bear that weight. But Rob, it sounds like most of these materials look like they're um they're not that heavy in nature. There's a few. Um oh, maybe I'll describe a little bit yeah. what the finished product yeah, tell is. Us about it. So making it flat was a challenge, mm-hmm. and I decided to make some of my life flat that has been just filling up my shop, which is a a giant pile of Man. boxes of very, very random things. Rob, I was going to do this exact same thing, and I decided not to do it. This is so great. Oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We've done that. We do that all the time. That's so funny. Yeah, it is funny. And then I did also... So what I ended up making was the, the triangles um, uh, Taylor and Doug were describing are little support structures that are then drilled into the wall mm-hmm. to sort of hold up a shelf board, right? And then I ripped down, so the the shelf itself is eight feet wide, so it runs along the length of a wall, and there's three of them. And it's above a fireplace, so that's why you heard about the fireplace. And I decided I wanted to project, to have it be something more kind of interesting to look at. And I had done, um, in some of the episodes of the podcast, I've used a mind mapping exercise to sort of, just sort of freely explore the concept and one of the things that I wrote down was making it rat. <laughs> and so so I I kind of didn't know what to do with that, and I ended up making shelves. Then I was like, oh, Jen and I both have this picture of a rat, which I, I think was originally like a postcard or something that Jen had written to me. And so I was like, I'm going to project the rat and trace the rat on the wall as like a kind of wall art piece. And I also never, ever, ever do any kind of like painting or flat style work um, ever. So I was like, I'm going to actually make a pa- a painting, like a, de- like a design painting on the wall mm-hmm. as part of my making it flat challenge. And so That's cool. I also wanted it to, essentially the painting is covered, right? Because when you fill the shelves up, the thing that's on the back wall is kind of covered by all these boxes and stuff. But I like that the an animal or something like a, a rat that has a very specific nose and a tail yeah. that lets you kind of 
understand what it is without seeing the whole thing. So now that's cool. So I, so I now all my stuff that was piled on the floor at the beginning of the images is is on the wall. Cool. See, I was gonna say what might be cool is to now project the rat onto the wall with yes. all your stuff, and totally. then paint the rat yep. on the stuff because, as you yes. all know. The hard thing with any kind of organization is sustainability, right? Yes. And so once you start taking things off, there it goes. At least if it had a rat image or part of a rat image on it, you would know it needed to go back to be governed. Yes. That's the grace note. You got to do it, buddy. Yeah, that is a really great idea, (laughs) Doug. That's really good. Like, nope, the zip ties always go back here. Otherwise, the rat's ear will not be in the right place. It's like like when you trace the outlines on the pegboard. It just, it calls to you. Yeah, that's a really great, really, really great idea. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right, Doug, what do you say? Can we take, can we peek? Peek at your stuff? You can peek. I'm looking at flat iron, flat face, flat chest, flat head, flat tire, beer, not on my car, flat ass, or as in floor, as in flower, as in against, and down on one's luck, as in opposite of a swell, as in dwell, as in what the... <laughs> that was me warming up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's. I really dig how you were using the, I mean, to the point earlier about your kid sitting on your lap and to what extent is that integrated into the actual work i mean i like i like that you're using the slack channel for the work which nobody has done to this point oh yeah right yeah okay yeah so doug the other day a couple days ago started posting things into the slack channel that we have for each guest and i was like i wonder what that is yeah and now it makes sense okay cool and i was like they're not responding am i doing this right remember i was like i don't know if i'm (laughs) doing this right (laughs) but now i get it so 8.08 p.m. was on Monday was the first thing he posted, and that was what Taylor just read. And then 8.20 p.m. slightly later, it says, flat art in vogue because no one wants to deal with dimensions. <laughs> and so it's, it's a, oh, flat, yeah, like a flat design style is in vogue. And it's an image of like a four by four grid of um, illustrated portraits of people. And it's all very flat, like no detail, mm-hmm. line art, shading, et cetera. It's like everyone's just... A two-dimensional person. It's like just pre-Instagram when everything yep. went gradient. <laughs> There's a link to songexploder.net and the Flatbush Zombies. And then I posted some images at the yep. towards the end, and then you can see. And then that's when I kind of started making. Mm-hmm. The Flat Earth is in there, Rob. It's uh, it's turtles all the way down. I really like this one. It's very strangely 3D for being a, a flat an image of the Flat Earth. Right. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was a, again another one of these flat things that came to mind, and then later on, uh-huh. I listened to with my students the song below, an older song by them. In thinking about a project, um, I was just I I gotten so busy, everything was just coming to a head, and I'm like, the only way I'm going to make this happen. Is that yep. whenever mm-hmm. I am doing, kind of like what we talked about initially, it has to become part of that. So mm-hmm. I might as well invite my students in on the on what I'm doing and ask them to oh, be a part cool. of this. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So that image of the earth, that song, and that video, the Flatbush Zombies, mm-hmm. I, we do this thing called a Zuhitsu. 
And okay. uh, a zuhitsu is a Japanese form of being random, of just the joy of like randomness. It's, this woman, Shoshanagon, uh, did these uh, descriptions of what was happening in the daily life of of the Japanese court back in, you know, the first century. And, you know, she, they were, some of them were long, some of them were short, some of them were just mean and snarky. Some of them were extremely <laughs> detailed, but like when mm-hmm. you read them all, you get a really good view of what court life was that, you know, no one ever dare talk about. So, uh, you know, she took a risk doing this as well. And then, you know, they discovered them later on. And uh, the contemporary poet Kamiko Han uh, wrote more contemporary Zuhitsu style poems. So it's been a way that I help. It's helped me with my own process. Uh, when we talk about Icon, you know, it was a lot of research and I couldn't write because of the research. I couldn't write creatively. So I was just wanting to write like mm. research stuff. But I needed these poems to come. And uh, luckily, I got to go to do a workshop with Kamiko Han. She taught me the Zuhit, taught us the Zuhitsu form. Everyone who was there, um, and I've been using this form ever since. So, I've been using Zuhitsu to kind of create poems. Did a whole book using that, and then having to write new poems. Uh, no time to do my own Zuhitsu, so I asked my students to do a Zuhitsu. And so I showed him the picture and I asked him to write for three minutes on this picture. And then I played him the song and asked him to write on the song. And then I just asked him freestyle based off of, uh, I think the prompt was, how do you make things flat? I kind of, I had to give him a question. Man, I want to take this class. (laughs) Yeah, I teach a poetry class, an African-American poetry class. And and where do you teach? I teach at Loyola High School of Los Angeles. And so you have uh you have a Saint Ignatius there in in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And that's we have our, a Loyola too. And you have a Loyola, and that's our those are our brother schools. Mm-hmm. Right on. The Jesuits. I think it's time to get to the product now because the product is the leap yep. to something else, which yeah, which we could talk about too. A lot of facets. Great. Okay, yep. so this is cool. called a lesson plan on flat one. Begin with an image, a flat world with water spilling off its edges, sun and moon on the same side. Two, students sing a flat in this manner. See both the moon and sun in the same position. Three dope boys in a Cadillac, grave digger. Something flat is negative. Then nobody as a person just lines, lower in pitch. The whole world is blue, which means it is cold, icy, black and white. Means to run over it and crush it. Never take a loss to survive, to overcome it. Crush them until they, until they are flat. Roll over it, smoothen. Flat the opposite. Antagonist to beats, bass, music. But without it, a bunch of random sounds without any breaks. I crushed the cup beneath my palm, undoing the glued creases, rolling it out. Grab a hammer and hit something. Wear out your shoes. 
Right now, I'm at the edge. Don't push me. Compression. Roll. 3D is fake. Pressure from a force pushing down as in writing on paper. The ground I walk on. The bed where I sleep. The world in 2D. The buildings I walk by. Rolling pin. Car compressor. Panini maker. No exploration. No suspense or mystery of the land. In order to make things flat, you need to suck the life out of someone or something. Straighten out your hair. There is always a flip side. Flatline. Yeah. Three. Wow. You remix their songs into your own. And now I'm hitting that other link. Cool. Should we hit that too? Sure. Cool. Oh, man. The haunting. Sometimes she seizes me. Mostly when I am cooking or handling the baby in a manner I should know better. For goodness sake, cover her head. It's cold out. At night or morning's break, the floor creaks loudest when my meddling mom returns, asking me how my days will go or will I visit later. Stillness launches imagination in tune with floorboards. Their electric acoustics bring me back to answer a ghost, but I am too old to be spooked by any specter. Family history reminds me how one granddad abandoned my father at the sight of a body floating through dark, while another granddad embraced the Pentecost so fully the descending holy could be seen upon his faithful baloney. Think a dirt road lined by dense trees. Think glowing doves and cold cuts. I custom being a know-it-all. I consider myself all good, good enough to stop a runaway car or escape a flat planet spilling its guts over an edge and into blank space. I'm ready for heroics, so that haunting mingles as just a way of living. In the drawing a friend adds to my notebook, her ripped page folds into dimensions. My morning coffee can't decipher her lovely outlined architecture. Yet, there's my mother's ontology, moved, symbolically captured within inked towers. Then, dark morning. My newborn cracks my confident quiet. I think I'm doing the most with my pleading, my whispers. You're all right, baby. You're all right. But these small sounds my mother gave me, incantations as tiny as the baby's ear, drift the child asleep, drift near a banana leaf plant, the plant my mother's spirit constantly tells me to water. Going back to the other one. Four, ask them to turn brainstorms into functional art. Five, ask them, do they know what functional art is? Say, process is functional. Say, nothing happens out of the blue, even cliches. Six, 
assign homework that addresses their flatness. The end. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Yeah, that was amazing. It's just, it, there's just so much to unpack. I'll just say in an effort to try to become flat and make flat, the idea became dimensional, right? It just yeah. became layered on layer on layer. And so even the thing, so really the thing that I created was that haunting poem. That's really what I created. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I also created assignments. I created collaboration. I created a kind of a process for them to go through what I was having to go through, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, no, we need to keep sharing this. And so let's do this thing. And the whole thing became an exercise and process, which I love. Yeah. You know, and a product actually came out of it. And hopefully, uh, you know, 40 more products when my students make something come out of it. I like seeing this as an expression of how complicated a single idea is that you're trying to drive home for them right um yeah oh i'm digging it are, are, are they gonna listen to your interview oh yeah i'll play it for them for sure yeah. and, and <laughs> you know I have hey what's to, happening i'll guys? say this Good i job. have to give a shout out to my seventh period uh poetry class <laughs> all yeah. of them who uh decided let me see i said uh if they put their name that i would give them a shout out and some props oh yeah cool, cj cool. yep he wrote his name, James, Adam, Lucas. There's <laughs> not many who put their names. Thad, Mason, Michael, um, Kento. Kento wrote an amazing one. Andrew Coles, Connor, and Rodolfo. Let me see. Cole Lim, Peter. Yeah. And Alex, thank you guys for helping me yeah. out. Shout out to you boys. I felt like it was so virtuosic, the um, the very occasional inclusions of humor, and that <laughs> you could really build up a really serious yeah. and abstract head of steam. And then when you had your lines about baloney and cold cuts, and then it would sort of, it wouldn't take you fully out of the stream but it would just yeah. remind you to have a multifaceted perspective, like a yeah. full perspective. And then you could still talk about really challenging things about death and, you know, the the presence of loved ones and so forth. But then that could also reference cold cuts. I just, I loved it. Like in just a few lines, a poem can really, it can really go the distance. You know, it's like, whoa, like, mm-hmm. like I, I had like t- all the emotions, like just, <laughs> just hearing Doug reading that, like, and it wasn't that long. So it was really cool. Right. Taylor, we should we should jump into your project. Let's do it. Yeah, your turn. Yep. Take a look. Doug, I'll let you take the first image. Uh steel rods, steel yep. ruler of some type, something flat, mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are what, six foot pieces? Yeah, they, look, well done. they look pretty pretty long. Look at this guy. Oh. And then there's some. Uh, there's one that looks like welded together already, kind of standing. I don't know if that's another tool or not, but um, yeah. And then some 
some clippers or or something to bend. I think those like pliers to bend the metal maybe yeah. when it's hot, right? Yeah, those look like yep, yeah, some welding pliers. And I think that like little there's a little those are I think of those as being welding pliers where you can like cut your welding wire with those if you need to. And we see also see like an industrial size sharpie. And it, and it's on a table. These these pieces of round stock and flat stock are on a what I think of as a welding table, mm-hmm. quote unquote, which is like a table designed specifically very flat surface with lots of holes so the heat can dissipate and so sparks can fly through. And it looks like we're in a also a welding shop of some kind mm-hmm. uh, because there's those orange curtains in the very far back, which I think of as like being um, uh, there for your eye protection. You guys are on the money in every way, Rob. I will just note that the holes are all tapped so that you can... Oh Mount, wow! Mounting points. That's really cool. Ooh. So you could screw down to it and like hold stuff down. Okay, mm-hmm. Doug, should we go to the next yes. image? All right, number two, Doug, uh, take it away. Well, we see those little dots, those holes on the grid. Yep. We see yep. some of the longer, I guess, six foot bar long. Yep. Bar now cut into little pieces. Yeah, and an like uncapped, no, I was going to say an uncapped Sharpie with this, just uh, another dot. It looks like it's uncapped. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does look like the point of the Sharpie, but it's one of the dots on the table. That's right. Yeah, so it looks like we've, we've some cuts in the flat stock, but we don't know yet. In the Stanley, in the Stanley uh, tape measure. So something precise. Image number, number three. three. Um, two pieces welded together to shorter of the the bar pieces now making like a yeah like an angle, angle like flat, an l upside yeah. down l. l an l yeah exactly an l shape yeah nice and the round pieces we still see in the photo <laughs> but we're not sure they right they're yet. just there still hanging oh man now oh my god do you guys watch Whoa. that forging show no now, oh my god forged by what's steel. the show I'll, I'll post that in there, but this is a, a forge, right? And the mm-hmm. steel rods are being put in the forge, uh, and that look that looks awfully hot. It does look really. Some hot. are yes, bent it, it enough like to a... bend, so those aren't. I thought they were like aluminum oh. rods, but they are like serious. If it needs to be put in a forge to bend, so oh, that's really interesting. So I've always heard about if you don't have an anvil, which I think anvils are very expensive just because it's such a massive amount of metal. You can use a piece of railroad tie to hammer on to bend stuff over. And this happens to be in the picture. Which, on that low log? Yeah, on that log. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the forge is, what would you say? The forge is bigger than a shoebox, kind of like a little microwave size thing. And it's, yeah, red hot. Like, it's definitely very, very hot uh, inside. And we see one of the round rods in there being heated up. And then we see two more that are kind of bent, kind of in half, almost like a paperclip mm-hmm. kind of curve. Or a hanger, yeah. All right, image number five. Oh, oh. so it's actually like a, a what do you call that? Like a yeah, a jig, a jig, a jig. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There you go, a jig. So it's a, it's a, it's like a hockey puck sized piece of metal that's screwed into this f- very heavy flat looking plate, and it's got some other pins in it, right? So you can kind of bend the metal around and give it a kind of circumference or something. Image number, image number, number six, six. So yeah, so we're seeing one of these um, paperclip style bins in one of the rods right now, but we it's a close-up, 
So we're not sure yet where this is headed. Should we go to image number seven? Number seven. Oh. Ah. Uh, oh. Table legs. Oh. It looks like. That's uh-huh. right. Yep. Yep. Nice. So the L shapes were have been welded to. So the hair is a hairpin. Hair hair that's yes. all those hairpin. Yep, that's it. Yep. 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 Taylor made a set of hairpin legs. Hairpin legs, legs so cool. from like a mid-century modern table. Yep. Those things I are... Admit, uh, I, I own a pair of those, but I would never make them because I always thought I would have screwed it up, and Taylor has done it, so that's awesome. Is it about 30... Are they about 30 inches? So it's like a standard like desk table height? It's actually only about half that height, so it's okay. a 36-inch piece that you bend in half, so you get about maybe... 16 inches once you cut it down for uniformity. Yeah, cool. So that's coffee table-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I, I talked about this a little bit in the last podcast. Uh, I'm teaching a class called Blue Color Fashion in the fashion department at Columbia College next semester. And so the students will make, uh, they'll do a woodworking project, like make a Japanese toolbox or a chair or something like that and then take notes about how their garments help or hinder the process of working in the shop. And then there's this incredible project called the Society for Rational Dress. Mm. And um and I'm uh-huh. I'm lucky in that one of the um I'm still I still need to find out the exact chain of authorship, but I know one of the primary authors, if not the primary author is Abigail Glaum Lathbury. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. And she's up at the Art Institute um so if I'm lucky, she'll come to both the workshop and present in my class. But she makes this uh, this jumpsuit, and the idea is that it sort of presents a possible future where everybody just wears a highly tailored jumpsuit. <laughs> That's like the only kind of clothing <laughs> in the future, and it sort of releases people from you know uh, sexual designation by clothing and professional designation and so forth. And you just all have this like really nice essential garment. Um, so the welding workshop is a way to encourage um, fashion students to come work in something they didn't think they would need to know, mm. and that should hopefully mm-hmm. then inspire them to um, uh, think about different clothing areas to target. Because as you might imagine, a lot of fashion, um, yeah, like blue collar fashion, is probably thought of as more of a lower fashion area, mm-hmm. but it's it's a huge market, and so this is a cool way to start thinking about it as a realistic. Yeah, um, Focus area within the topic aprons. Of fashion. Aprons are huge now. Exactly. Yeah. Every so, yeah. barista yep. has to have a or a bar, a coffee bar, and their baristas have to have these specialized now uh, and tailored aprons that are designer. You know, it's yeah. not like the, even yep. the denim is designer. So it's pretty amazing that a, an apron that is really working class can be something that's designer. I just was thinking of a good little like a uh, side assignment with zippers, Ooh, yeah. Velcro and snap buttons. Like you just give them <laughs> oh, yeah. buckets yeah. of that, some fabric and just like go. <laughs> yep. Well, so I have to admit that my garment construction is not, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with a general level of construction but certainly when it comes to, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot more experience than me. So I'll be co-teaching at least for five weeks of the 15 weeks, the class with Julie. And I have to apologize. Her name is spelled F-E-H-L-E-R. But I need to uh, verify whether that's Feller or Failer. 
Mm-hmm. But she is the one who came in, you know, she's going to help in particular with the Garma construction aspect. And she is saying, you know, she was the one who said, oh, we should also do tool belts and aprons in addition to jumpsuits. So depending on um, how familiar the student is with Garma construction, some of them may just make very simple leather worked aprons. Uh, and some of them might make, you know, super complicated jumpsuits with all these fancy pockets and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, Doug, yeah, I, cool. I love your recommendation and I'll be doing that for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I have one quick question, Taylor. Yeah. You had mentioned that the, about the wobble and I, mm-hmm. it made me think, so you, you made four table legs, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like a multiple and each one does actually really ma- like it really matters that the four are the same right and this is a it's a situation i always get myself into where i like and i i had this problem with my own work where i had to make 20 of the same little standoffs for my wall uh-huh. and they're never all the same and i was curious about like how you even though like in your head you imagine like i'll just make x number of these and they'll all be the same and i was curious about what challenges or whatever you ran into with that or if you you just kind of hammered it out to make it work yeah yeah so the um so this workshop is taking place at pumping station one which is a hacker space in chicago uh we don't have welding capability at columbia even though we have a theater department and a film department that are both Uh really big so so the larger conversation here is going to be about introducing welding into the curriculum moving forwards um, yeah. but in this case, it's just 15 students and, you know, we'll get them in there and show them how to do stuff. So yeah, a bunch of, uh, jigging is basically the trick. So what, when you're bending the leg, you know, the first thing you do is you measure halfway down the six feet and make a mark and you make sure that you're heating exactly in the middle of that rod in the forge. Yeah. Now, when you bend it around the jig, you need to make sure that the same amount of leg is protruding on the left side as on the right side. So, you know, you'll have to do like a consistent, basically yeah. all of these steps are going to require two people, which which I didn't have when I was making the prototypes. So they're not perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. So then, you know, somebody lets you know you have, you know, like 17 inches of leg protruding before the hot area starts to hit the bend area. Um, yeah. So that's one of them. And then I made a wooden jig that's leaning, like it it matches up with the bracket at the 90 degrees, but then it's leaning at 12.5 degrees so that we get that same oh, tip perfect. every single time. So I think I'm going to have every student make four. And if one of them is not very good, then they're just going to make a, co- a circular coffee table with three legs. <laughs> oh, three. Yeah, that's great. That's great story. Yeah, so if they do it right, then it's going to, you know, you can make a bench or you can make a table or whatever. But if you do it wrong, you just make a coffee table that pencils roll off of, you know. Uh, yeah, so I'll I'll report back on how this goes. But my, my idea was just, you know, I'm starting from a lot of neutral stock, which is flat or at least straight by nature. Right. And then... So I was kind of diverging from flatness, but then in another way, yeah. I'm making a table. So it's like coming back to flatness. That's cool. And that's me. That's great. You can find photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. We have links in our show notes, and we also post cool stuff in our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. 
We'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker if you share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or send smoke signals or do some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast. We will mail you an opposable thumb sticker. So just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email, which is opposablepodcast at gmail.com. And a big thanks to Wolfmask, who is the artist that created our logo, which is what the sticker is. We'd like to give Blondie Hacks, Nick Contar, Walter Kutundu, David Bellhorn and Adam Mayer, a shout out as our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Blondie Hacks, Nick, Walter, David, and Adam. Huge, huge thanks to y'all. Um, it's really great. We've got some new Patreon patrons, and it's really great um, to have them on board. And if you'd like to join them in the League of Patreon supporter badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. All right. Doug, do you have anything that you would like people to know about? New books? Um, Yes. Uh, Icon is for sale at my website, fdouglasbrown.com it is also for sale on the publisher's website writ large press um and amazon all of those fun places you get a book and i don't know about you all but have you ever been selected for voidir before no Uh, No. voidir right the the term for actually being selected for the jury itself the one time i was um, oh yeah i have actually that so I'd be curious for your story. I know we're going late already, but um, the judge asked if there was anything we needed to talk about in chambers, and I said yes. And I said, A, you know, I have a family member that's been in jail, and so we got we got beyond that. And then I, in the case I was called in on, there was a kid that was accused of shooting and killing another kid. So I said, I just, I can't remember what the maximum punishment is in Chicago. Can you tell me what that is? And the judge got really angry and did a lot of barking at me about how, you know, I was supposed to determine guilt and they were supposed to determine punishment. But, you know, I mean, a thinking human can't yeah. can't pull these two things apart. So they, mm-hmm. they finally, you know, just yelled in my face, well, can you be objective? And I looked at the... Um, you know, defense attorneys, and I said, I guess. <laughs> and then, you know, and they cut me immediately. Um, <laughs> or maybe I looked at the wow. um, prosecution attorneys and said, Prosecutor. I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, it just, I mean, it's so it's funny and it's also terribly sad, but I, I came out of there with just a renewed, um, you know, uh, feeling that I was so lucky to never have been on the other side of that because it just seemed so corrupt. Yep. And the fact that the people that they kept were just willing to say, sir, yes, sir, uh, was very troubling. So I I feel very strongly about encouraging everyone to vote um, poor judges out, because I certainly encountered my own poor judge once upon a time. Yeah, for sure. And also Pumping Station 1, where I'll be delivering this welding workshop. But, you know, it's it's hard to follow that other example. I have uh, one thing, which is this website called zooniverse it's a little bit tragically named in my opinion but it's z-o-o-n-i-v-e-r-s-e and it's their sort of tagline is people-powered research and so i'm not quite sure how projects get up there but they're they're projects that sort of ask to be for crowdsourced help Mm -hmm. um but in a sort of more specific and interesting way than what i think of as like mechanical turk which is like 
much more kind of brute force method. And just to maybe describe a little bit, like a lot of them are sciencey projects, science related projects, like social sciences or or you know astronomy or something like that. And um, their sort of paragraph, how they describe themselves, is this: it says, "Participate in research of all kinds, from classifying galaxies to counting penguins to transcribing manuscripts." Whatever your interest, there's a Zooniverse project for you. And some of the examples that I saw, and the one that I really was curious about was there's this collection of like 26,000 punch cards from World War One, And so they want, from the from like a YMCA study done back in World War One, and they wanted help, I think, just deciphering them and sort of counting the punch cards manually. And I was like, wow, that's really wild. And I think what's cool about that, right, is it allows you to be like, oh, this seems interesting and weird. Like, I'll help do this for 15 minutes and then I'm going to be done. Or or maybe you get really involved and you're like, oh, I really spent some time over the weekend or something working on it. But it seems like a really neat way that people could contribute to projects they think are cool in a very like sort of um, tangible and real way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it seemed cool. All right. Doug, do you do you have a challenge for us? I do. Um, I'm just going to say the falsely accused. How about that? Oh, so good. I was going to make it personalized and say a time you were falsely accused, but I just, I think just leaving it as the falsely accused is a, for you two and whomever else you might bring in, that's going to be fantastic. We haven't had a good that's conceptual really good. one for a while, so that's gonna a while. It's gonna mix it up. Fantastic! Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I just sent that challenge to our next guest, so uh, they'll be starting, and Taylor and I will be starting on the falsely accused mm-hmm. very soon. Nice. Thank you both so much. Really. Oh, Doug, this. that this was a fantastic, fantastic episode. Yeah. Yeah, my mind is blown. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna have to like, go lay down after this. Seriously, <laughs> it's just like whoa, whoa. teaser for you.